Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Lost in Science Special Edition. Yes, you heard it here first. It is the International Women's Day Edition. My name is Claire and, well, I've kicked the guys out of the studio. They are on the street and I've brought in with me along for the ride for International Women's Day, lecturing climate science and science communication at the University of Melbourne, friend of Lost in Science, Dr. Lyndon Ashcroft. Welcome back. Hi, Claire. How are you? Happy International Women's Day special to you. I'm glad to take up two two seats worth of space here today. (laughs) The way it should be, Lyndon, the way it should be. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. This is always one of my favourite episodes of the year. Uh, and, and just because we get to showcase and talk about, you know, incredible women and also, you know, hear from people like yourselves. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this year, every year, the UN has a, a theme for International Women's Day. It, it is a formally recognised mm. day by the UN. And for me, this year's theme is really prescient for me in my mm. field, thinking about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports that have come out in the last year or so. The theme for this year is gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow, because Climate change and the increasing amount of natural disasters, well, natural, maybe maybe not the word, human-tinged extreme weather disasters mm-hmm. that are occurring, we know that they disproportionately affect women. Women are more vulnerable to climate change impacts than men as they constitute the majority of the world's poor, as the UN say, and they're more dependent on, on these kinds of natural resources. And that's such an important thing to think about. International Women's Day is a global day. It's not all breakfasts and keynotes and these kinds of things. It's a celebration of women all around the world, and I, I think that's really crucial to remember. Coming back to the, to STEM as well, to science, technology, engineering, and maths, and the second M, what's that, medicine? Medicine. Right? Medicine, yep. yeah. Coming back to STEM, I think we also have to remember that International Women's Day is is for everyone. You know, we do have a long, long way to go in the fields of science to making sure that we can see women at every level. You know, we know that we have a similar level of male to female PhD students in lots of fields and that it's pretty equal in the junior ranks within the university mm. sector. But as you get more and more senior, it kind of opens up like these Uh, like open scissors, you know, and there's more and more men in the senior roles and fewer and fewer women. And that's something that we really need to address. But that doesn't mean we can't champion women who have decided not to go that way, who have decided to take their their STEM knowledge and do something different, who have decided to take their passion for STEM and and use it to excite their children or they've used it to, oh, no, do millions of other different things. And I think that's worth championing as well. It's not 
not always necessarily the highest of flies that we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate everyone. Now, there's also another um, theme for International Women's Day, which, as I've been told, it's not the official UN theme, but it is it is a theme um, and it's a hashtag, break the bias. Now, I've been told that, that some of the corporates have, have um, embraced that one, so... Not that it's bad. I think there's a lot of a lot of goodwill behind it and maybe some charity <laughs> donations, but it does seem to be a slightly competing theme. That's okay. There's room for diversity, even <laughs> in the theme of International Women's Day. I just find it interesting because, you know, bias is certainly something that as scientists we um, try to stay away from as much as possible and try to get out of experiments and go to all sorts of measures to to, to do that. So breaking the bias, um, I think, is the theme is, yeah, something that's, that's you know, quite squarely within the, within the realm of science and something that we can, we can probably and should be um, applying more widely to our inclusion principles as well as our experiments. Um, and that's something that I actually had a chat with our another guest today um, coming up on the show, Dr. Emma Burrows, who is a neuroscientist from the Flory Institute. And Emma does some incredible work um, in the mental health um, space and working, working across all sorts of uh, neurological conditions. And she uses mouse models to sort of look at how genetics influence behavior in those particular um, mental health conditions. Emma also happens to be a real pioneer in the gender equity um, space for scientists. So I had a great chat to her about what breaking the bias really means. So that is coming up on the show. Lyndon, I hope you will uh, stick around and have a listen to that. And um, let's have a chat afterwards. Sounds great. On with the show. Our guest on the show for International Women's Day is a neuroscientist and a fierce advocate for equity and diversity in STEM. Dr. Emma Burrows from the Flory Institute of Neuroscience leads a huge transdisciplinary team who use mouse models to look at how genetic mutations can impact brain connections and how these lead to changes in altered behavior in conditions such as dementia and autism spectrum disorder. Emma, welcome to Lost in Science. Thank you so much for having me. And happy International Women's Day. To you too. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your journey into science and research and, you know, how you got to be doing what you're doing today. I know it started early on. Uh, My family have told me many stories of a very young person asking lots of questions. Why is the sky blue? How does this work? And I kept mice and I made little shoebox mazes for them when I was a six-year-old. I was doing experiments, I think, from the moment I can remember. In fact, my first memory is of feeding ants sugar water and watching them stop and (laughs) investigating just uh, just looking yeah look I I don't think it was a very complex scientific study I was three at the time but it's definitely one I can place there was no photo it's in me and I think asking questions is at the core of every scientist so my journey started there and um, that's in Hobart Tasmania and I 
loved science all the way through, had not so many scientists in my family, but very, very supportive people who helped me find resources um, for my many, many questions. And back then it was really, really large sets of encyclopedias and books and and real-world experiences. I spent a lot of time wanting to be a marine biologist, actually, because Mm -hmm. I lived by the sea. Melbourne was my next stop after high school, and Melbourne Uni was the spot where I really got into uh, scientific experiments and isolating DNA, uh, learning about genetics, and it was the brain that had really captured my attention uh, by that time. So I think I was hooked already, but hooked on the brain by the time I finished university. Right. And of course, everyone knows scientists do spend a lot of time at uni. So of course, I continued on for my graduate research and here I am today. Still asking questions, no doubt. Absolutely. Emma, you lead a group of researchers who do fascinating work investigating all sorts of neurological conditions, like I said, ranging from dementia and autism spectrum disorder, but not only those things. Can you talk us through the types of questions that you're investigating and how it is that you go about answering them? Absolutely. Uh, we are really interested in how our genetics leads to behaviour. I think this is just such a black box for all of us. Um, In particular, one of our our major projects at the moment is in autism, and we know that autism runs in families, and so that's the genetic component. Uh, What we don't really know is how that genetic component leads to behavioural differences. And so we're investigating uh, these behavioural differences with mice, and one of our paradigms that many of my, my students and staff use are actually touchscreens. So this is a little mouse iPad and we reward our mice for playing basically computer games that come from the psychology clinic. One of the things I love most about the work that we do is that uh, my collaborators are from different disciplines. So one mm. of my, my closest collaborators uh, comes from a psychology background and we share a PhD student. So it's, um, it's Professor Catherine Johnson. Together, what we have done is actually taken a psychology task from the clinic and brought it into our mouse clinic. So using this particular apparatus, we can ask our mice to nose poke a sensitive a touch sensitive screen Wow! and ask them to remember, ask them to pay attention, to discriminate two different types of images. And that allows us to ask really clever and sophisticated questions about how mice are learning, how they're motivated and Mm. what they're paying attention to. So one of the things that uh, we listen to from our clinical collaborators around autism, autism is um, very complex. It's a spectrum. So it affects people very, very differently depending on who you are. Um, But some people do report a sticky attention. So what this means is that it's really, really easy to focus in on one thing, but not so easy to switch away from that thing you were focused on. So we are looking at this in one of our, our mice that contain a genetic difference that relates to autism. It's really fun work. Our mice get milkshake. Our people work hard too. I'm really proud of my team for the way that they work uh, together and that's that's a big uh, focus in my group. What are you hoping that, you know, these these questions that, you know, in 10 years' time, you'll what sort of answers will you have to these questions? There's a lot we don't understand about autism in particular. Um, there is, there's a lot we don't understand about the brain. And I think if we were to focus in on autism as one particular condition, people are not always thriving. 
and that's because the neurotypical world is not made for them. So if we could understand the brain differences uh, that exist in autism and across the spectrum as well, it's a very complex condition, probably with a lot of subtypes. We might have better awareness for neurotypical people, better management and ultimately um, better conditions across the board, so access to education and work uh, that will actually allow people living with with autism to really thrive in all situations. So that's that would be a fantastic outcome uh, in 10 years. I know there are lots of people who do have a lot of challenges. We, we hear stories and, and also data comes from the NDIS, for example, around how hard it is to get access to support. So it, it's very much an unmet need and that's what motivates me to do this work. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. You've told us a lot about your research, but um, there's another aspect of the work that you do in your career as an advocate for equity um, and diversity in STEM. So can you talk to us about what led you to sort of stand up and be an advocate for gender diversity in science? Absolutely. I have been an advocate, I think, since I remember seeing pictures of women can do it on my fridge, on my auntie's fridge, actually. I remember a picture of um, that, that famous um, Rosie Revere engineer sort of style, sort of pumping her her biceps. So it's always been in my family to fight for people and to fight for, for equity. Um, I knew about the word because my parents uh, have worked in special education and it's been very much in, in our everyday conversation. So when I entered into um, biological science or into the medical research field, um, I did notice that a lot of our PhD students, so that's the entry-level graduate um, level, the next level and sort of the sort of emerging leaders were women and, mm-hmm. and many were men and, and also non-binary people as well. So there was a, a very even mix of, of genders across the board at that point, but not so much when I looked at the leadership positions. And I sort of may have noted that at the time, but I was young and you don't always see the world the same way. Um, So I I started to note things as I moved through my career. I started to experience minor little moments of being overlooked and of not having my voice heard in the same way um, as my male uh, colleagues who were at the same level. It was pretty obvious to me once I did some reading. So I started to investigate. I asked questions and then I was suddenly found myself in a group of people who were thinking the same thing. Uh, We can change the way we work. We can be clever about this. We do need some, we need women to lead. Women are fantastic thinkers. Uh, So I have done a number of things across my my career as a neuroscientist, but also as a diversity and inclusion advocate. And some of them have been brave and bold and and in the limelight, which is utterly terrifying, Uh, like speaking with John Fain about sexual harassment. Um, I must say that was one of the the more Mm. um, terrifying moments of my advocacy. Um, Many of them have been behind the scenes and and not not sort of actions that you would uh, see in a newspaper. And these are just as important So I've been a co-founder with a phenomenal group of people um, of Women in Science Parkville Precinct. And this is a group of people and and a large community now of advocates lifting up women uh, in a group of five medical research institutes. And 
through this work, we have not just empowered individual people, so providing professional development that we really don't get in our field. It's it's not something that's mainstream. Um, taught people how to code, provided people with a leg up with grant writing, which is mm. a very sophisticated skill so we can bring in more resources to our labs. But we've also worked with politicians. Um, we have raised awareness. We've changed structures and uh, policies within our our institutions. A lot of these things are actually not deliberate. It's just a, a hangover from people not necessarily thinking it's important and not realising it's important. So a breastfeeding room can be mm. really make or break for someone who's returning um, to work. And that's one of the phenomenal wins I experienced in my work. And also seeing one of my male colleagues take full paternity leave for five months to look after his daughter. Normalising caring has been one of the sort of low-hanging fruit tasks that we've done. Um, it is, it's really tricky, but it's sitting there. It's there for everyone to take. We, we want people to have access to work-life balance. I'm really proud of that, that work. I'm proud of the work I did with Women in STEM Australia, which is a national organisation raising awareness um, across the board, uh, not just science, but all of the letters of STEM. It's a force to be part of. One of the most wonderful things about this work is not just seeing the effects. And yes, some of them are slow, um, but some of them are momentous, mm. but also just the colleagues and the friends I have collected along the way. Um, it's very much a, a community of people that are lifting each other up, which is it's what we need right now. Well, it sounds like you've made some incredible inroads. Now, the theme of this year's International Women's Day is break the bias. You know, bias is one of the dirtiest words in science. You scientists structure experiments and do all sorts of things to remove bias from their research. But in this case, when it comes down, and you talked a little bit about this, but when it comes to, you know, breaking down gender bias in science, what do you think? Why aren't we there yet? Well, we're human. And I know that scientists have many, many years of training exactly on this this breaking the bias aspect, but we are ultimately human and we are not infallible. So yes, bias exists across the board in many fields in in the legal system. It exists in our political system, which we have seen a lot in the limelight um, over the last couple of years. So yes, in our field, absolutely it exists. And there are some, I think, weaker points where it it hurts people the most. And the kind of field that, that I'm in relies a lot on reputation, relies a lot on being asked to give a talk, relies a lot on the network that you build and the people that you connect with, the collaborators that, that work with you. So these things are in, inherently human. There is a lot of really good research on this in the, in the science um, sector and one of the, the effects, I think it's termed the Matilda effect, uh, and it really describes that tendency to undervalue women's scientific achievements. I know that right now I'm speaking from such a place of privilege. Uh, In my own career, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants. Prior to the 20th century, uh, women were not able to enter labs unless they had um, a societal position or um, position, a position of power or, or a, a close male collaborator. I have been able to be in this field for so many wonderful years and p- even people a couple of decades ago didn't have this opportunity. So I'd like to pause and, and just reflect on the fact that there has been a, a momentous shift in the way that women and, and non-binary people have access 
to to this field. But yes, we do not see it at the leadership level. And I think this is where it comes down to uh, the biggest bias around women leading. So women are doing really fantastic work across the board, but they're not ha- they're not actually getting um, through to those leadership positions. There are fields uh, in the the rest of the STEM acronym that don't have the same intake. So there are biases biases that affect say, computer science and mathematics um, at the earlier levels. Uh, But I'm speaking as a sort of a neuroscientist, a biologist, and the bias is definitely at the leadership level. And this relates to how we perceive leadership and the metrics we use in particular to value success. Mm. So I'm particularly passionate about this area. How we value success, I think, is at the cornerstone of of the bias and the way it, it brings people down and squeezes them out of the system. So I particularly don't see myself as the leader that is valued by a lot of our um, our grant systems and our institutions. I lead very differently to a lot of people I see. That's not a problem. I think we all need different types of leadership. Um, but some of the things I do in my work life, there's no way of measuring them. Mm. I can't count them and I can't put them into my grant applications. So that's another aspect of bias in that Yes, we are biased towards people and about the way that we view even their first name and their last name and their background, but we're also biased in the way that we're focusing on success in in the sense that, you know, Nobel Prizes are put up on a pedestal and absolutely they should be, but there are other ways of defining success as well. And I think in some ways the pandemic has, has really dramatically shifted this and one of the areas that I think we were biased against Um, science communication and now we have seen that science communication literally has saved lives over the the two years uh, with our public health message and we have epidemiologists as household names now and that's a bias that's been broken really quickly it took a pandemic and I'm really sad that it did but there is a silver lining there that we're now hearing from scientists uh, on a daily basis in our newspapers we're seeing them spotlighted in ways that uh, we haven't before, and this is a really good thing for people. And speaking of leadership and and leaders in their field, you are no doubt an inspiration and mentor to many people, both in your lab and outside. Who who are the women and non-binary people in science who you find inspiring? I am surrounded by by people I'm inspired by. I feel so lucky. I did mention uh, epidemiologists um, that are household names. So Sharon Lund from the the Doherty, head of the Doherty, is a COVID expert, but she's such an exceptional science communicator. Mm. One of the the most inspirational people that have sort of emerged and Professor Emma Johnson uh, is another Australian uh, marine biologist. And I guess from the get-go, I wanted to be one. So I've been watching her career for a while. Um, She's really changing systems and she's a phenomenal leader. In the past, I think I I follow stories of women who are no longer with us. And I remember stumbling upon the story of uh, Eunice Newton-Foot, and I'm not sure whether anyone really would say that she's a household name, but she demonstrated that um, the heat-absorbing properties of carbon dioxide and she was never attributed with that finding. Um, mm. A male scientist three years on actually got attributed with that. So I remember stumbling upon her her story and thinking, oh, that's pretty incredible that she was able to do that at that time, um, so long time ago. So there are people throughout history that I read about who contribute to my everyday, whoa, wow, look at these people. Um, 
my colleagues in the in the diversity and inclusion space, I've mentioned them, but in mm. particular, um, one of them has been a long-term mentor of mine, Professor Julie Bernhardt. And Julie's a physiotherapist, a exceptional leader, and she brings together people from so many different disciplines to do work that is, I think, in, in many people's minds, like just unachievable. The, the way that she could bring teams together and the work that she does in the stroke space um, is absolutely inspiring to me so how lucky I am to have these people in my my inner circle but in particular in my life I have people who are not scientists who continue to inspire me um my mother who's challenged the status quo and every international women's day I think of her and I think of her leadership and teaching um, because of this is this is clearly this the first taste that a lot of people get in, into science and into critical thinking um, and her work ensures that kids from a community in Tasmania thrive and it's innovative it's tireless and it's courageous and my last call out would probably be to my daughter who is a budding scientist because she asks probably <laughs> more questions than I do um, her curiosity is just untappable you can't stop it um, she's got bundles of compassion too mm. a sense of right and wrong and I think the thing that inspires me most about her is her endless optimism whenever I need a dose of optimism which is a lot in the last couple of years I really look to her and she will always spotlight something so utterly wonderful even if it's a little bug on the ground or if it's some um, a creative story that she's told. So science is quite creative and I think that people who are from other fields really do value add and um, the work I'm doing with an artist uh, here in Mitango has really brought a lot of joy to me and has inspired my work in the science field. So Hiromi is an Australian Japanese artist and experiments with colour and and rainbows in particular and how rare and wonderful rainbows are. And together we've created a beautiful art exhibit at the Science Gallery in Melbourne uh, that explores how fun and joy can come into how we exercise and keep our brains and bodies healthy. So, yes, scientists around me inspire me, but there are a lot of, lot of people who work with scientists as well who deserve a call out on International Women's Day. Well, Emma, thank you so much for coming on Lost in Science this International Women's Day, for sharing so generously about your career, your research, um, and, you know, your hopes for us to break the bias in science. Best of luck for the research, and thank you again. Thank you for having me, and a big shout-out to all the budding scientists out there. We need you right now. Come, come join us. That's all we have time for on this special edition of Lost in Science for International Women's Day. Lyndon, thank you for sticking around. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. It's been great to hear from Dr. Burrows and hear her passion for not only her field of science, but also her um, championing of diversity and equality is so important. Lost in Science is recorded on Wurundjeri Country in the studios of 3CR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at lostinsightgmail.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter where we are Lost Insights One. Or you can get find us on Facebook where we are Lost Insights on 3CR. Or you can just tune in again next week when there'll probably be a few dudes back in the <laughs> back in the studio. Sounds uh, boring. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. When we <laughs> once again will get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.